welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. Chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these, cut them in half, laid them each half over against each other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and the flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river of Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That was so good. Good morning. It's intense. It's an intense reading. It's going to be an intense message too. But uh, are you ready for Christmas? That's what I want to ask you all. Yes. Are are you? I don't know. Um... I, I want to know, um, what do you do, what are the things that you do to guarantee you're going to have a great Christmas? What do you do to guarantee a perfect Christmas? Oh, I didn't mean for you to answer. No, I, I, uh, I wait, family. Oh, no, I love that, family. Uh, I, see, I was thinking things like, you know, getting that perfect Christmas tree 
or you know that perfect gift maybe for your your friends or family or relatives do you have the perfect gift picked out already it can be very satisfying to get the perfect gift uh, your decorations, are your decorations set up? Are they, I've had some trouble with Christmas lights this year, but um, are they enough without being you know, overly tacky? You, know, you wanna have like the perfect amount. Uh, do you have the perfect meal planned out for Christmas? You know, you think about all of those things that you do to guarantee like, okay, this Christmas is gonna be a good one. For me, I think I, I like traditions. I like our family doing the same thing over and over again because if I did it and it worked once, I just want to do it again. Um, and I think that is my way of maybe hoping to guarantee the perfect Christmas. And, and I think as I was thinking about it, I think we like these guarantees, right, in life. I think I'm just the type of person that likes a guarantee on something. I like a promise. But I don't know that it's just reserved for Christmas. I think, I think that's just something that humans in general, we love to know that everything is gonna be all right in the end, right? That um, there's, we kinda need a promise that everything's gonna be all right. There's a common saying that says, everything works out in the end, and if it's not working out, it's not the end, right? And that's nice, I think it's a nice saying. But um, how do we know that it's true, right? How do we know that we, we can be guaranteed that everything's going to be all right in the end? And I think we can know to some degree. And I think that's why looking at the covenants, these biblical covenants, as we're going through Advent, as we're going through this time to prepare our hearts for Christmas, these biblical covenants give us a picture of the promises that God has made that we can, we can kind of hang our hats on, that we can know. So these covenants in the Bible, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, they're promises that God has made to his people that are often accompanied with a sign and a ceremony, with a sign and a ceremony. And so for our Advent series, we've been looking at these for the last few weeks, and we are going to continue to do this through Christmas and even the week after. And we're going to be looking at how these biblical covenants unfold through Scripture, and our hope is that by looking at these, um, we can really prepare our hearts to receive and to welcome Christ at Christmas in our families. Amen? That's what we want to do. And so two weeks ago, Gabe took us through the covenant of works with Adam. And this is where God promised to bless Adam's obedience and to curse his disobedience. Uh, and then Gabe also showed us the covenant of grace in which God promises to reverse Adam's curse, right? By offering salvation through that promised child, through Christ. And so we look forward to him. And then last week, Eric walked us through God's covenant with Noah. And that was where God promised to hang up his war bow in the clouds. He showered the world in common grace and then applied saving grace to those who would be rescued by Christ, right? Christ was the true ark that brought us through the storm, the better ark. And so here this week, we're going to be looking at the Abrahamic covenant. And oh yeah, we, we have this wonderful image that are, these are on our Christmas cards. So we're kind of working our right, way around the circle, <laughs> right? So you can see the tree with the Adamic covenant, and then the ark with Noah's covenant. And then this week, we are going to be looking at the Abrahamic covenant. And the Abrahamic covenant is where, here's a definition, if, if you're taking notes, if you're that type of person, the Abrahamic covenant is God's promise to make Abraham and his descendants into a great nation that will not only be blessed, 
but also be a blessing to the whole world. And so that's what we're gonna look at this week. And we're gonna look at the Abrahamic covenant in three acts or scenes through Genesis. There's a lot in Genesis about Abraham, about the life of Abraham. And we're gonna just focus on these three, these three scenes. And so first we'll, we'll call act one um, the covenant call. And then we'll look at act two, the covenant cut. And then act three is, is the covenant kid, the covenant kid. And so we're gonna cover a lot of ground uh, this morning, or at least we're gonna try to. And so um, let me pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, we are so looking forward uh, to celebrating Christmas, celebrating uh, the coming of your son, the incarnation. And I pray that, that as we do that, you would be uh, continuing to prepare our hearts. Lord, show us your promises, remind us of your promises, and help us to walk according to those, those promises. Walk in a way that we believe those promises. Um, we pray in your son's name, amen. Amen, all right, so uh, the first one, act one, is the covenant call, and this was in Genesis 12. If you're following along, go ahead and look at Genesis 12. And this is the scene that, that David read earlier, and this is where the Abrahamic covenant begins. Actually, just previous to that in, in uh, chapter 11 is where we first meet Abraham. And uh, if you look at Genesis 12, verse one, it says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. This is the covenant call. This is where God first calls Abram and actually, okay, I, I gotta do a tangent real quick here. I am just gonna call him Abraham the whole time, okay? So I'm gonna drive some of you nuts, you know, some of you theology nerds out there nuts. I'm gonna call him Abraham the whole time. At this point, his name's Abram, and uh, Abraham, his name changes uh, to Abraham. God gives him the name Abraham in Genesis 17. I'm gonna call him Abraham the whole time. I'm sorry. I apologize in advance for this, but I, that, that's how I'm gonna do it. So he enters, God enters this covenant with Abraham on the condition that he leaves his country, his family, and his inheritance. He leaves his father's land. So I, I don't want us to miss the outright just insanity of this call, right? So before Abraham shows up in Genesis 11, we don't have any evidence that he, from scripture, that he worshiped God, that he knew God at all. So imagine you're in that place, you've got a good job, you live in a nice area, and then a God you've never met shows up and he says, I want you to leave your job, leave your family, and leave the country. So, and, and notice in, in that verse, God doesn't even tell Abraham where, like, hey, where are we going? He just says, I'll show you, okay? You, you gotta think about how crazy that is. Would you go? I would go, maybe, <laughs> see a psychiatrist. I don't know. I, it, I, it, would, it would not be something that I would immediately jump up. You know, imagine having that conversation with your, your spouse. Like, honey, so uh, I heard this call, you know. But, but the, the thing is, God offers Abraham an incredible blessing there. So keep looking. Look at verse 2. He says, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
Okay, so he uses the word bless. I think, you know, God's really trying to convince him like, hey, all right, you should go. I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless people through you. He uses that word over and over again. And that word bless here that's translated is the Hebrew word barak, which is uh, a lot of times translated in scripture to bless or to kneel. And it's more often used in the Bible to, to describe our posture of worship towards God so that we would kneel, that we would bless the Lord. We would kneel before the Lord. So God using this word um, towards in his, to describe his posture towards Abraham is really jaw-dropping for those that would originally read it. And God's not worshiping Abraham, but he's using this over-the-top language to describe this incredible blessing. Um, that he is going to bless Abraham in a way that is out of this world. Um, it's a way that it shouldn't happen. God shouldn't be blessing people in this way. And if you look too, now there's, there's a purpose to this blessing though too. So look again at, at verse two. God says, and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And so the purpose of this over-the-top blessing is so that Abraham would be a blessing. And one pastor described it this way. He said, all this blessing promised to Abraham will be enjoyed someday by all the families of the earth. God's purpose is to bless the world with the blessings of Abraham. He is to be a conduit, not a cul-de-sac of God's blessing. Therefore, even though God has begun his redemptive reclaiming process with a single individual, he has in view the world. He has a plan, a clear purpose for the centuries, and it reaches even to us. Amen? Amen. I love that. And I think right here would be a good place to just stop, pause, and consider our own covenant calling to leave everything behind, to follow God, and to receive his blessing so that we will be a blessing to others. Because after all, in Galatians 3, and you don't have to turn there, but this is, it's, it's really amazing. You gotta listen. Galatians 3 verses 29 to 27 tell us that we are covenant heirs of this promise to Abraham. But that's us. It says this, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Again, verse 29, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Amen? Yeah, so I think the question for all of us is, are you using your blessing to be a blessing? And, And this is a tough question. And I love you guys too much to ever ask you a question that I wouldn't ask myself too. So I've got to ask myself, am I being a, a Hoover Dam of God's blessing, allowing it to just flow into me without passing it on? Or am, am I being more like a Panama Canal of God's blessing, letting God's blessing flow through me? And so, you know, what are the things that we've been blessed with? What are the things that you've been blessed with? I know I've been blessed with an incredible family. And so am I, I've got to ask myself, am I just hoarding them to myself, enjoying them? Or am I opening up my home to those who don't have a family or who have um, a difficult family? 
Am I encouraging my family to, to be a blessing to others? Or am I just hoarding that all to myself? I, I've been in, uh, blessed with incredible wealth. You're like, how? You're a teacher. <laughs> and, um, well, we all have. We've all been blessed with incredible wealth. If you made $1,500 last year, 1500 not $1,000, $1,500 last year, you're actually in the top 20% of the world's income earners, top 20%. Give yourself a hand. No, no, you don't have to. No, it's good. If you have sufficient food, decent clothes, if you live in a house or an apartment, have a reasonably reliable means of transportation, you're among the top 15% of the world's wealthy. If you earn 25,000 or more a year, you're in the top 10% of the world's income earners. If you have any money saved, a hobby that requires some equipment or supplies, a variety of clothes in your closet, two cars, live in your own home, then you're in the top 5% of the world's wealthiest. And if you earn more than $50,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of the world's income earners. Okay, so give yourself a round of applause. No, no, we're, we're incredibly blessed with wealth. Are we using that blessing to be a blessing to others? What else have you been blessed with so that you can be a blessing to others? Maybe it's not material blessings. Maybe some of us are blessed with amazing talents, abilities, um, incredible hearts of service or generosity. Some of you have been blessed with spiritual gifts, teaching, helping, healing, administration. Are we using those blessings to be a blessing to others? What are some of the blessings in disguise that God has brought you through so that you can be a blessing? What are some of those sins or hardships that God has brought you through that you can use um, to be a blessing to others? I think for myself, I've been blessed. <laughs> I've been blessed by, by God giving me faith through many years of uh, doubts. And so am I using that blessing to have mercy on those who doubt, like uh, Jude talks about. Some of us have been blessed with redemption through broken marriages or comfort through, through very tragic loss. Uh, for some of us, God has blessed us with patience through chronic pain, through illness, through really long periods of trial. Um, for some of us, God has blessed us with hope through years of, of fear, of anxiety, of mental health struggles. For some of us, God has blessed us uh, despite many years of infertility, just like Abraham, right? So are we using these blessings to be a blessing to others? I think that's the question that this, this uh, Abrahamic covenant um, asks us. So God blesses Abraham to be a blessing, and he wants to do the same with you and I. All right, so Act 1 is this covenant call. And so Act 2, we're going to move to Genesis 15. Act 2 is the covenant cut. And I think at this point, you might be feeling, those are hard questions that we were just asking. You might be feeling a lot like Abraham did. You might think like, yeah, I want God to use me to be a blessing to others, but I, I don't have it. I'm, I'm too inadequate or the obstacles are too great. Abraham was an old man with no kids and no home, and God was promising to make him a great nation to bless the world, right? Uh, Abraham needed some reassurance, and, and I think you and I need some reassurance too. 
that we, we can be blessed to be a blessing. And so where should we look? And so turn to Genesis 15. Should be just a page or two. Genesis 15, and we're going to look at the covenant cut. C-U-T, cut, the covenant cut. So look at, look at Abraham's doubts. Um, they rise up in verse three. And Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside, and he said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is a really beautiful scene, isn't it? Especially for our modern sensibilities. Abraham doubts God's covenant promises and God, God reassures him that he's going to have his own son. He brings him out of his tent to look at the beautiful stars and he says that that star-filled sky, he says, Abraham, try to count these stars in the sky. You're going to have more offspring than you can even count. And this is what made our, our invite cards this year, right? That scene, isn't that beautiful, that, that little icon of Abraham? And this is like, as you're reading this, you can hear like the music playing in the background. And this just, this is such a beautiful scene. This like warms your heart right? Doesn't it? And if you love this, this scene of, of God's reassurance in, in the starlit sky, soak it up right now, because it's about to get weird, like very weird for our modern sensibilities. And by weird, I mean horrifically bloody, okay? Um, we, we go on, right? Verse 7, we go on. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half, and when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So Abraham just wants some reassurance that God's going to give him the land. And if you're like me, you have no idea how much meat this actually is. I did some Googling, and I, now I'm kind of afraid of what kind of uh, ads I'm going to start getting. But I found out about how much meat this is. So a three-year-old, a three-year-old cow, heifer, weighs about 1,200 pounds or so has about eight gallons of blood. That was a weird Google search, but it's on there. It's, it's in there if you can find it out. A three-year-old goat's about another 100 pounds and good for another gallon and a half of blood. And a three-year-old ram, you know, you're looking at about the same um, amount. And so all told in this little line in this verse, Abraham slaughters about 1,500 pounds of meat, drains about 10 milk jugs of blood everywhere, I'm sure the guy's a bloody mess. And then, to top it all off, he chases a few birds away as they're trying to pick at, at all of this butchering. And you kind of have to ask the question, what on earth just happened? What, what is going on here? And so for this, we do need some historical context. And so here's how one theologian explains it. 
this ritual was not a sacrifice. Rather, it was a blood oath for a covenant ceremony. In Abraham's day, this was standard procedure for covenant making. When two kings or any other parties for that matter made a treaty and covenant with each other, it was common practice to make some sort of blood oath after explaining the conditions of the covenant, including the promised reward for keeping the covenant and the penalties for breaking it. As part of the covenant ceremony, animals would be killed and sometimes cut in two, Typically, the lesser of the two kings, the one considered the servant of the other king, would take an oath and walk between the animals or do some other type of ritual in which he would promise to keep the covenant. Such an oath was gravely serious, for to pass through the rows of severed carcasses was essentially to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The person taking the oath was saying that if he broke the covenant, he would become just like that severed animal. So Abraham and the ancient readers of Genesis would have known exactly what this ceremony meant. So this was a covenant contract signing ceremony. So they didn't have law enforcement or a judicial system to make sure that people kept their word. Um, So they acted out these ceremonies. And could you imagine if the next wedding you went to, they were like, ah, we're not going to do the paperwork. We're going to do this instead. It's, you know, it's a little bit more biblical. Or like if you were going to go, you know, instead of signing a loan for a car, they were like, well, I think we're going to, we're going to do this instead. It might, it might make things more exciting. I don't know. I don't know. But if you were an ancient Israelite listening to this story, you would be totally on board up to this point you'd be thinking that God and Abraham are making a covenant deal. The next thing that should happen, though, is not what happens. What should happen next is that God would lay out the stipulations of the covenant and that Abraham should walk through the middle of the, of the carcasses and agree to keep his promise or be torn in two. But that's not what happens. And I just want to read it again Um, so that we catch what what actually happens. In verse 12, it says, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell on him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward... They shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a great smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt, to the great river, the river Euphrates, to the land of the Kenites, and the rest, all the rest of them. Sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, we, we've already read that part. You don't, we don't need to read that. So Abraham falls asleep, deep sleep, maybe from a full day's work of butchering. I don't know. There was a lot of, there was a lot of animal butchering there. But then God lays out what he's going to do over the next hundred years with Abraham's descendants, with his people. And he, he's going to do this to bring this covenant promise about 
And this deep sleep that Abraham falls into shows that this is a one-sided promise. This is a one-sided promise God is making to Abraham and will accomplish through him. It is not a promise like, hey, Abraham, I'm thinking about using you in order to, you know, you do your, your part, I'll do our part, and we'll make a great nation together. This is God. You notice that that was God passing through in that torch, that smoking pot, passing through those carcasses. And, and it's really, really under, important to get this because earlier when I was asking you if you were using your blessings from God to bless others, you might have been thinking this about covenants. You might have been thinking like, okay, God makes a deal with me to bless me, but my part of the deal is to bless others. And if I don't do this, I don't know, maybe God's going to take my blessing away, or maybe worse, maybe God's going to abandon me altogether. And I think if you're thinking this way, you're missing this whole, the whole point of the Abrahamic covenant, and really the heart of the gospel. I'm going to read this, how, how one pastor sums it up. He says, this right here, this picture, the smoking pot passing through these carcasses, this is the gospel. What God does is he appears and he passes between these carcasses and God is saying, Abraham, I'm going to go through for both of us. This is the gospel, the gospel uh, of salvation that the Christian faith is not a cooperative effort. It's not that God helps those who help themselves. It's not a partnership. God comes through and says, I will take upon myself the curse of the covenant for both of us. Abraham, may I be cut off if I don't do my part of the bargain. But Abraham, may I also be cut off if you don't do yours. Abraham, I will bless you even if it means, and it did, that I would have to die. Don't you realize that centuries later, darkness came down again? You read about it in Mark 15, 33, where, where it says, and at the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land. And in the ninth hour, Jesus cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Isaiah 53, 8 says that the Messiah was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. So often we think that God blesses us to test us. And he blesses us so that he can sit back and, and test us to see if we are going to use that blessing wisely, if we're going to use it well. And if we don't use it, then maybe we lose it, or maybe we lose his approval. But in the gospel, we have this full acceptance of God and assurance that his blessings are to bless, not to test. And what's amazing is that, doesn't that make you want to bless others? Like, that makes me feel way more willing to use my blessings to bless others than saying, well, I, I guess I really should. I mean, like, God has given me all these things. You know, I'm in, like, the top 1% of earners or something. The worldwide earners, I guess I should use it for others. But that's not, you know, that's not it. That's not what's going to make me, make me want to bless. It's, it's really understanding that God's blessings are a blessing. Christmas time is a great time to bless others, to be a blessing to others, isn't it? Because nobody asks questions, <laughs> you know, you can, you can, uh, Christmas time takes away some of that awkwardness of maybe going over the top to be a blessing to others. You know, you can just say, you can just blame it on Christmas. Like, I, I don't know, I'm blessing you because it's Christmas time. 
And so this would be a great time to start uh, using your blessings to be a blessing. Okay, so we looked at the, the covenant call of Abraham, then the covenant cut, and now we'll wrap up with, with the covenant kid. And so you can turn with me to Genesis 22 now. A few pages over Genesis 22. I told you we were going to cover a lot of ground. Genesis 22. And there's, there's so much that happens in Abraham's life in the book of Genesis that it's impossible to fit into one sermon, but it's hard to talk about Abraham without talking about Isaac. Genesis 22 and the, the sacrifice of Isaac. And so Genesis 22 happens near the end of Abraham's life. So Sarah, his wife, dies in the next chapter, in, in chapter 23, and Abraham dies in chapter 25. And so at this point in Genesis 22, Abraham has been walking with God for a while now. So it's a, it was a long walk, a long road of, of obedience. Definitely not perfectly. If, and if you look, if you read through the rest of Genesis, and the Bible's not shy about telling us Abraham's faults, but this last story here does highlight Abraham's faith in a God who has proved himself more than faithful to keep that covenant, to keep that covenant promise of a blessing, um, giving Abraham a son, giving him land, and um, making him in, into a great nation. The story's not all, all over yet, but uh, we, we see the beginnings of it. And so you probably know the story, but if you're in Genesis 22, I'm going to go ahead and read it. Uh, verse 1 says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I, sh I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place, of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. 
And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all nations of the Lord be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. This is the word of the Lord, right? (laughs) This is one of the most shocking chapters in all of scripture. And I think this chapter forces us to ask the question, why would God do this? Remember, the, the Abrahamic covenant is God's promise to make Abraham and his descendants into a great nation that will not only be blessed, but be a blessing to the whole world. And so we have to ask the question, why would God do this? How could he do this? How could he promise a son just to have him killed? And, and I don't think there's a way, any way to answer this question unless we look to the cross. Because this Abrahamic covenant is going point to the new, point us to the new covenant in, in Christ. And I'm so thankful that we have this to look at. Because me, myself, looking at it back then in that context, I would have a hard time with this chapter. The question, why would God promise a son just to have him killed, is a great question for us to ask at Christmas time, isn't it? And I think as we consider this question, we're going to go ahead and transition into communion right now. So if you're trusting in Jesus, or maybe if you've just given your life to him, we would invite you to join us. And if you're not yet a Christian, this would be a great time to pray and receive the covenant promise that God will bless you because he has taken the curse on himself. As the elements are passed, I want us just to consider the ways that Isaac, the son of the covenant, points to Christ, the true son of the covenant. So Isaac was this long-awaited son promised to Abraham and Sarah, and Christ was the long-awaited son promised to God's people. This is the one who Isaiah, the prophet, wrote about in Isaiah 9-6. And we sang about this morning, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So Isaac, in Genesis 22, verse 2, is called Abraham's only son. Right, Take your son Isaac, your only son, whom you love. And in John 3.16, John writes, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so both births were uh, miraculous, right? Isaac was born to parents that were too old to naturally conceive. And Jesus was born to a virgin. Both births were announced to their parents. Both sons were given names by God. Isaac was the son of laughter, and Jesus' name meant God saves his people. In Genesis 22, Isaac was meant to be the lamb for the burnt offering before he was spared. And in in, uh, 
John 1.29, John the Baptist says about Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Genesis 22.6, we're told that Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And in John 19, we're told that Jesus went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him. So both carried their own wood um, to, toward their sacrifice. Both, were will, both willingly laid down their lives. So Isaac carries up the wood for his elderly father. Uh, right, he could have fought back very easily. And uh, Jesus, in John 10, he says, I lay down my life that I might, may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down for my own accord. And so both Isaac and Jesus also were raised from the dead, right? Hebrews eleven nineteen tells us, Abraham considered that God was uh, able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So Isaac gets this figurative resurrection. And we, know, we all know that three days after being laid in a tomb, Jesus walked right out of it. Amen? Uh, one pastor puts it this way, um, Jesus is the true and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all. God said to Abraham, now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from me. And now we can say to God, now we know that you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from us. And so this whole story in Genesis 22 was always, was always, and is always pointing to Jesus. Amen? And so what, what are we going to do now? Christ commanded all Christians to eat bread and to drink from the cup in thankful remembrance of him and his death. So the Lord's Supper is a celebration of the presence of God in our midst, bringing us into communion with God and with one another feeding and nourishing our souls. And it also anticipates the day when we will eat and drink with Christ in his Father's kingdom. And so these are the instructions that were, were given to the church by Paul to the church in Corinth. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. So let's eat the bread together. And in the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink the cup together. Let's pray. Father, thank you Thank you for your promises. Lord, we're um, so thankful that you called Abraham and that we can see your covenant keeping through his life. Father, we're so thankful that you have called us. Lord, and I pray that you would bless us, continue to bless us to be a blessing, especially through the next few weeks, especially through Christmas. I pray that our lives would, would be a light 
to your world as we are celebrating the birth of your son, Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.